The first thing we see is how God has worked sovereignly. And you, you see that in, in verses 18 to 20 in particular. God is working sovereignly. And what we mean by that is God is working in accordance with his purposes and decrees. That God has issued a rule over this whole entire earth. And God has issued a rule over all of the peoples of the earth from eternity that is now being seen and accomplished in the life and time of the history of the earth. God is sovereign. There is nothing within the earth, let alone the universe, there is nothing that occurs in anyone's life that is outside of the rule of God. Do you believe that, dear Christian? That is a truth to hold fast to for that next time that you find yourself in an accident or you want to attribute coincidence to something. No, that is divine providence where God's sovereign will is being done. And he uses everything to accomplish his will and purposes, even secondary causes. When someone sins. Because God does not move people to sin. We have that nature in our own hearts that moves us to sin. And God, and this is part of the mystery of God. God knows the sins that will be committed in this day. But thank God he's sovereign to rule over those things. And to superintend his will and his good through those things. This is the God we worship. And as Paul would say in Romans, for of him and to him and through him are what? All things, not some things, not just a few good things that we enjoy, not just his own people's lives, all things. He is sovereign. And the thing is that we aren't. And in our smallness, even there in Romans 11, Paul says, Who can comprehend the will of God? Who has been his counselor? Who has said to God, you shouldn't do this, you should do this? No one. And here we see God working sovereignly. Even as we sung from Psalm 2 how the nations conspired against God to cast off his cords, to cast off his ways. We see again in verses 1 to 15 of this chapter, the northern Canaanite kings joining together for one last effort to stop Joshua. And they bring it all. If you look back in chapter 11 verse 4, they bring everything to the table. They went out with all their armies, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. I mean, this is a vast army that you would look at and tremble if you saw this in formation out on the earth. And they came with everything that they had. And and how does God work for the good of his people in all of this? With the raging nations coming to meet them. You look at verse 6. God comes and what does he say to Joshua again? Do not be afraid. (laughs) 
This is, this is like six kings, six nations against one. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For tomorrow, about this time, I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You're, you're going to be victorious. You think about that with the Lord Jesus. And it's a line from that famous hymn of Martin Luther. A mighty fortress is our God. And when you're seeing how God has accomplished the victory uh, of our salvation through Jesus Christ. The captain of our salvation. What does it say about his warfare with Satan? With one little word he fell him. All our God has to do is speak. And our enemies are brought to nothing. That's the sovereignty of God. And the Lord promised Joshua. And Joshua went to war against them. And as we already read in verses 12 to 15, they were all conquered, utterly destroyed. Friends, think on that today. When we think of the governments of the nations of the world, and particularly uh, in in its divided center, we think of the rising government of, of China and their coalitions with nations in Africa. And we think of all the Muslim nations that stand opposed to Christ and His church. And we think of all the Western nations and all of the foolishness that they are bringing into the land. We think, well, the church doesn't stand a chance. Friends, you don't know your God if that's your thought. Our God is sovereign. And one of the things that's, I'm just drawing your attention to this, one of the things to note is that God works sovereignly, not in accordance with the ways of men, Look at, at verses 6 to 8 and, and uh, notice how these nations came to meet Joshua with the full force of their might, with many horses and chariots and, and with a huge army. And in the midst of that, God tells Joshua in verse 6, I want you to hamstring the horses and burn their chariots with fire. What a strange thing to say, but, but if you were to back up to Deuteronomy 17... This is just one of those funny notes that meets us in this. In Deuteronomy 17, uh, verses 14 to uh, verse 20, God, when he plans to bring forth kingship in Israel, says that every king who comes to the throne must write out this law so that they are aware of how they are to combat the nations that would come against them. And look what he says there uh, in verse 16. Uh, He says there, But the king shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt uh, to multiply horses. You shall not return that way again. Uh, They're not to to look to the way of the world to fight their battles. In fact, when you read that whole section there, you'll note that King Solomon King Solomon would violate every one of those prohibitions. Just like Samuel, uh, Samson 
Samson, when he, when he died, I mean, when he uh, was captured, it was at that very end when his hair was cut, but Samson had violated every one of the prohibitions that were against him. So did Solomon, thinking that this is the way we're going to find peace. No, Israel and the church today, we are called to rely solely on the Lord, even in our battles. Aren't we told that same thing? The weapons of our warfare are not of this earth. They're spiritual. They're in Christ. God was working sovereign, sovereignly. And that sovereign work meets us in, in an astounding way when you come uh, to verses 19 and 20. Joshua made a long war with these nations. In fact, uh, when, you, when you come to chapter 12, 13, 14, there's, there's at least five to eight years of, of battling all of these individual cities that get conquered. But, but you come here and see the sovereignty of God in verses 19 and 20, where God says, only Gibeon made peace with Israel. No other nation did. Isn't that something? That for the number of nations that they fought, and as all of those nations watched Israel defeating nation after nation after nation after nation, there was only one city that sued for peace. One city. Again, think about that with the conflicts that the church has today. Our conflicts are much more spiritual in nature. We're dealing with the darkness and hardness of men's heart, even as Israel was in that day, as we're going to see. But God's sovereignty is at work in helping his people defeat these things. And we see here that why no other nation sued for peace. It again speaks about God's will to deliver Gibeon, but no other nation. Can you fathom that? It was, verse 20, it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they might, that he might utterly destroy them that they might receive no mercy, that he might destroy them. Isn't that very sobering? The Lord hardens their heart. But it, it, was, it was in such a way, though, they didn't want peace. They didn't want peace with God. No matter how terrible the warfare was, no matter the losses they sustained, we don't want peace with Israel's God. It's just like Pharaoh all over. Even his own people said, make peace with God. Send the people away. And Pharaoh said, no, no, I will not bow to this God. And that's the same thing here with these nations. Their hearts were hardened by the Lord. They did not want peace with God. But it was also because the Lord did not want peace with them. And, and that is something, my dear friends, that ought to frighten us. It ought to be a very sobering thing to think. What do you have with Jesus Christ? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. 
how did that happen? It happened because the Lord didn't want to harden your heart. That's the only reason. It happened because the Lord wanted to be merciful to you. And he sent forth his spirit to work on your heart. To make it alive to him. Ezekiel 36. 25 and following. I will give you a new heart. My spirit will come. And make it clean. Because my friends before the spirit did that. You didn't want peace with God. Not in our nature to want peace with God. You wonder why the world is as it is. It is because they, in their arrogant and gravely immoral and inherently wicked nature, that's what the heart is without Christ. They are given over to the wrath of God. As Hebrews 10.31 states, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In his sovereignty, he delivers. In his sovereignty, he hands over to his wrath. God is the one who does these things. And the question as you contemplate this, again is, look to yourself, where do you stand with God? Because you are either under the Lord's mercy or you are under his wrath. There's no in-between with God. Search up. Is even in his sovereignty, we do not know when God would awaken a soul by his spirit. That as long as we stand in the land of the living... We can pray, we can hope, we can petition, we can seek God. In fact, he says that. Seek the Lord while he may be found. My friends, that time for seeking the Lord is in the time of your life here on earth. Contrary to a very popular gospel that is going around today in the church there are no second chances at death. Scripture declares it's appointed to man once to die, and after that, judgment. God works sovereignly through Christ, the captain of our salvation, and through Christ, the captain of our salvation, he overcomes the undefeatable, We're brought to verses 21 and 22 where this special mention of the Anakim is brought out. How Joshua destroyed their cities and and the Anakim that remained were driven to those three cities on the coast of Philistine land. Gaza, Gath and Ashdod. Who are the Anakim? The Anakim, that word means long necked people. Uh, I don't know if that's attributing their height and stature to simply an extra long neck, but that, that's what the word means. 
Those are the giants that existed in the land. People of incredible stature, two to three feet taller than the average person of the day. We know a, a few of them. We know at least three of them by name in First and Second Samuel. Goliath and his two brothers. I didn't look up his two brothers' names, but there were at least three of them from that household. We know all about Goliath. He stood nine feet tall. That's over three feet. Three, three feet and a few more inches taller than me. But he wasn't just a, a tall man. He was a man of stature. A man who could fight, wield a sword, and, and intimidate a whole army. These Anakim, Numbers 13, were the very giants that struck fear in Israel's heart and kept Israel from possessing the land in their first attempt. And God cast Israel into the desert and, and brought to death that whole generation who refused to trust him to go in and deal with this nation and take the land because all oh, the giants are there and there's, it's impossible for us to defeat them. They're an in, undefeatable enemy. What changed? Why is it now under Joshua that Israel looks and says, we can defeat them? <laughs> what changed? Did God change? No. Did God's promise change? No. Did Christ, in his promise to help Israel go in and lay hold of the land, change? Did Jesus suddenly say, okay, now I'm ready to fight for you? No, that didn't change. What changed was the heart of his people. In the grace of God, that spirit of fear had been taken away and replaced with the spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. That's what we're given in Christ. You stop and you think how these giants posed a threat to so many nations. We, we need to understand all of these nations in Canaan were at each other's throats. They weren't kindly dealing with one another. They were battling each other as well. And everyone feared these giants except for one who didn't fear the giants. That was the Lord, the captain of our salvation. You go back to think again from Hebrews 2, what does it say of Christ? The captain of our salvation destroyed the one who had the power of death. Now, he did it by going into death, taking death to himself. But he destroyed him. You might think, well, Jesus, didn't he fear dying? No, you know what? In the garden, what did Jesus fear in the garden? If I can put it that way. He feared that moment of time when he and his humanity would be separated from the Father. He feared that experience, as we sang this morning, 
when the Father would turn his face away from him and cast the fullness of his wrath upon him for our sins. And I say in his humanity because in his divinity he was not separated from the Father. In his humanity he was. God cannot stop being God. It's a mystery. But in his humanity he got to experience the wrath of God in our place. But he endured it to the end to bring about that glorious redemption of all of his people so that even before he died he was able to declare it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He had defeated the enemy during that death in our place. And it is in Christ that whatever fear we may have of the giants of our day The Lord has overcome it. Think about it with David. In 1 Samuel 17. You know often that story is told. About how David overcame Goliath. By his faith in the Lord. David didn't overcome Goliath. The Lord did. And the Lord overcame Goliath. Through David's faith. That's the better way of of stating it. Because Goliath was more than a match for David. His little 16-year-old around there with a stone. Is going to kill a giant? No. God will. And it's our faith in the Lord. Where the Lord comes as the captain of our salvation. To deliver us from all our fears. We have giants today. And and the government of our land isn't one of them. (laughs) The giants that we face are, again, spiritual things. Sin. But what did Jesus say in John 8 about your sin? Every one of your sins. You ever find yourself wallowing in a sin because you think, I've already confessed this so many times, how can God forgive me again? What does Jesus come and say to you? Look, if I make you free from sin, you will be free indeed. There's no sin and no besetting sin that I am not greater than it. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Even the world that we live in, the turmoil, the evil of our world, and we think it's increasing and growing and it's going to overcome us all. What does he say in John 16, 33? In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. What? I have overcome this world. This world has no power or might before the Lord. And you stand in the Lord. He's the captain of your salvation. 
or you think about powers and principalities, Satan and his hosts, those spiritual forces of wickedness, this warfare that we are engaged in every day where we face an enemy we cannot see and an enemy that has more power and strength than we do. What does Jesus say in his word? I have triumphed over them all in the cross. They have no hold on you. Trust in me. I am the captain of your salvation. And you see, that's what happened here as they overcame these giants. They knew their Lord. He was with them. And last, and just very quickly, as you see there, he brought them rest. The captain of our salvation brought them rest. And this is the end of all God's desires for you, to bring you into your inheritance where you can know that rest from all your labors. Isn't that a wonderful thing that we often say of a saint who has died even Now, before the resurrection, what do we say of that saint who has died? They've gone to their rest. Their warfare with sin is done. That's God's end for us. He wants to bring us to that place where the very presence of sin is removed from us and us from him. And the captain of our salvation is leading us to that glory. Doesn't that thrill your heart? (laughs) I mean, we're beginning another week. Whatever your week was last week, whatever it's going to be this week, the captain of your salvation is leading you, his children, into his glory, into your inheritance, into that promised rest. And again, the question that meets you is, are you at peace with God? Are you ready and prepared to know and experience that rest in the Lord? Come to Christ. He will receive you. He will bring you that peace with God that we all need. Let's pray.